Welcome to Mission Connect, a podcast brought to you by Passion to Reach Ministries, designed to equip you to connect with God's mission for your life. I'm Emily James, your host, here with co-host, Passion to Reach's founder and director, Pastor Fanu. Hey, Pastor Fanu, how are you? I'm doing great, Emily, and excited for another Mission Connect podcast. Yes, and today we have a special guest on, but before we bring her on, uh, Pastor Fanu, we just came off of the GOAT conference just over a month ago. Why don't you tell people who weren't able, because we were all sold out of tickets, actually, so why don't you tell people who weren't able to be there or maybe were there and want to hear the sessions again, how they can uh, get the DVDs or audio of the conference? That's right, Emily. We had an incredible GOAT conference. It was our best yet. Uh, um, and as you said, we actually uh, had to close down registration a week before because we were sold out. And uh, our sessions were powerful. I mean, we had uh, people like Mark Clark, uh, who pastors one of the fastest growing churches in Canada. Uh, they went from, I think, 50 people, he said, to um, they're at 5,000 now in seven years. And so uh, just a fascinating story and um, uh, great uh, talks that uh, Mark gave on how to reach our society here in Canada, our culture here in Canada. We also had the Ewans, Christopher Ewan and his parents, Angela and uh, uh, Angela and uh, Dr. Leon, who uh, talked about this whole area of sexuality and how do we look at it from a biblical point of view and how do we deal with a culture that's so hyper-sexualized uh, today. And so, again, great insight, in fact, for their sessions, and I heard it from many people that, uh, you know, I've never heard anyone talk about the area of sexuality as well as he addressed those issues. And I think it will be uh, a great, great resource for uh, for a lot of the listeners of this podcast. So uh, head to our website, passiontreach.com, and uh, you can uh, go under resources and uh, you'll have the opportunity to get to our store from there and uh, order the DVDs and CDs. They actually ship out uh, next week. And so this is a great time to uh, to, to, to get them. And, uh, you know, in fact, even maybe something that you can share with someone for Christmas mm-hmm. and uh, share those resources. Uh, and I'm sure it will make a difference in people's lives. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Fanu. And actually, a few of the speakers were on our podcast. So if people haven't heard their episodes yet, they can go a few podcasts back. Um, Mark Clark was on, Alan George, Ray Narula. So they can hear those podcasts on, on the podcast there. So let's, uh, we're bringing on Sarah Brown today on the podcast. She is actually a funeral celebrant. So it's kind of a different uh, take on what we've been talking about, but she's got some incredible keys and she shares some great ways of how uh, we can deal with loss and how we can help others who deal with loss. And so she's gone through a process her, herself of discovering, you know, what her call is. And it's really brought her to a place of being able to dedicate her life to comforting those who are going through grief and loss. So let's bring on Sarah Brown to the show. So I'd like to welcome our special guest, Sarah Brown, here with us today. Sarah Brown is actually a funeral celebrant, so we're going to be talking to her about working with uh, people that are grieving or working with the brokenhearted and how she connected to that mission for her life. So welcome to the show, Sarah Brown. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. Sarah, it is great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time uh, to share with us. 
I appreciate. I'm looking forward to it. So let's just start off with getting a little bit of background about who you are, how you came to faith in Christ, and kind of your story in that. Sure. Yeah, I was uh, I was raised in a family who who loved and and is dedicated to Jesus, and uh, so it was four years old when my dad asked me, Sarah, would you like to start a relationship with with Jesus? Ask him into your heart was the language I believe we used back then, and uh, and I said yes, and I was ready. Now a year a year later, um, my dad asked me again not knowing whether it uh, really registered, I guess, at four years old. But my response, as he tells me, I have no memory of either uh, either of these conversations, but he tells me that my response was, well, don't you remember, Daddy? I already did. <laughs> so I, I was definitely... Um, secure. Now, of course, over time, over my life, I remember being in Christian school in grade six and feeling the need to, to re-secure that salvation at a chapel uh, um, uh, altar call, I guess it was. But um, but overall, I don't ever have any memory of not knowing God. So that kind of continued into teenage years, college years. Like, What were those years like for you? Yes. Um, not always easy years. High school in particular was very difficult as I was in Christian school up until grade six. Um, and then we, for various reasons, were no longer able to go to that Christian school anymore. And so rather than pull me uh, straight into public school, my mom uh, and dad decided to homeschool us. So I was homeschooled for grade seven and eight and then thrown into grade nine public high school, uh, 1,200 kid, non-Christian kids I'd never known uh, what it was like to even interact with somebody who wasn't of the faith. I was very much kind of in the bubble, if you will, um, and I didn't know a soul. And so obviously very difficult and um, teased and bullied. And But, you know, I just always knew that God was there. And through the difficult, uh, especially those first couple years of, of high school, I just... Um, I think it strengthened my relationship with God. And uh, yeah, so I, I feel blessed that way, I guess. Not everybody I know that can, can really say I don't really, I mean, I've definitely had difficult times for sure, but I've never really questioned his existence. And I, and I think that's actually a testimony in and of itself. Yeah. You know, sometimes I remember uh, when I was a kid going to youth camps and stuff, you know, and these speakers would come in, Sarah, and they would be like, you know, I lived on the street and I did drugs yes. and I did all this. And I'm like, yes. and so I would leave and I'm thinking, I don't have a story. I don't have a testimony. I wanted that story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I wish I did some of that. Because now I can, you know, I can preach and I can talk about, talk to people about stuff and everyone wants to listen because they're like, wow, that's incredible. What a change. Right. And yet, yeah. as I've grown older now, I, and I talk to people that have had those kind of past and have come to faith in Christ. And I see the, um, the challenges, you know, just yeah. physically in their minds and their emotions of all those things. Cause there's mm -hmm. always consequence to sin, even though God obviously forgives us. And, um, so I think, you know, your, your story of loving Jesus from when you were four years old and, mm -hmm. and, and sort of 
being in that relationship with them through the ups and downs of going through your teenage years and all that, I think that in and of itself is an amazing testimony mm-hmm. of the of the grace of God and the love of God that keeps us yeah. through probably the most turbulent season of our life is when we're going from what, 13 to 19, 20 years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, that's Absol- awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that... Um, that that that's not to say obviously that i haven't had a life full of sin we all sure. have <laughs> um but um and then also i would say is that my ide- ideas about god has drastically changed over the mm-hmm. years and mm-hmm. hopefully grown and matured and and that kind of thing so that's why i was very intentional i said i've never questioned the existence of god who he is and um and and how i relate to him has changed a lot that's good. For the it's good, been, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's really, you know, a story of like, of strength, that strength and courage that you need. I mean, we know what high school's like, college is like, they say most of people actually lose their faith in college or university. And uh-huh. so it's like, you know, that that strength that's needed to really continue to pursue the things of God, whether at sometimes we question certain things or not, but it's that pursuit of him and that pursuit of relationship with him that, you know, it's a lot of strength to, to, uh, press into that and continue in that. So, so now, you know, with Sarah, where, um, I see you are at now, you're, you're helping people in this state that are grieving something else that really I connected to when, um, you know, on through social media and stuff, we see yeah. you're such a, a, a compassionate person in general. Like, you know, just the way that you and your sisters, you get on board for these um, fundraising opportunities and opportunities yeah. to give to brothels and, <sighs> and stuff like that. So, so what is kind of uh, your story behind there? How did you get into this funeral celebrancy? Mm. How did you get in, you know, this compassion that rises up for you to be able to uh, really pour into people? But where's what's the story behind that? Yes. Well, how much time do you have? (laughs) Yeah, it is. uh, I guess after high school, I was really like a lot of young uh, adults wondering what what is my direction? I was always also very jealous of people who had such a clear idea and mission. I think about my husband, Drew, who has just always known that music is what he was born for. And I have never had that sort of clear. And there was just a lot of different things that I thought I could do. And so in the middle of the angst of that time, I remember my dad saying, well, Sarah, just go with, with what you're interested in. And it will lead to something that you're you're interested in you're a bright girl, you could probably go to, to university um, right down the street. I grew up in Hamilton. So right down the street was McMaster. So that seemed like a good choice for me. And I ended up getting a, a degree in English and drama. Of course, everybody was, because uh, I loved writing and I loved acting and uh, reading and that kind of thing. Still didn't know what I wanted to do at the end of those four years or five years. I think it took me. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But, um, and of course, everybody was like, well, you're, you're in the humanities. Of course, you're going to be a teacher, right? And I was just so, no, I don't want to be a teacher. And I think back then, and even throughout my, my adult years, there has been a lot of fear about just getting trapped into one thing. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that if I went to teacher's college, I would go and be a teacher and, and that would be it. I'd be stuck 
and um, just the whole nine to five live for the weekends and, and, you know, um, vacations just never appealed to me. I think that's part of the reason I married a musician because it sounded like a life of adventure and, <laughs> and not the white picket fence, you know, but uh, adventure it has been in lots of ways <laughs> over the 14 years we've been together. But um, anyways, I applied to a bunch of jobs afterwards and then a couple of, um, I didn't go to teacher's college adamant that I didn't want to be a teacher, but I thought just in case none of these jobs work out, I'll apply to some private schools uh, who don't require the, at the time anyways, didn't require teacher's college because they're privately funded. And so um, nothing else worked out. And I got a job teaching drama at a Montessori school, followed by three years of teaching grade four um, at a, a school for gifted kids. And it wasn't that I didn't enjoy my time there, but I think that there was still this like looming something else I'm made for something else. And, mm, and yeah. so that's when Drew and I made the decision. I'm just fast forwarding really quickly here, but um, we made the decision <clears throat> to four years after we were married, um, moved to Winnipeg where I joined a, a, a ministry called beautiful, unique girl. Um, and basically we traveled across the country doing, um, themed girls events for, for teenage girls, PJ parties, beach parties, mostly in church youth groups, just talking to teenagers about, you know, beauty and, and value and what makes them, uh, valuable, which is, basically Psalm 139, that God, um, you are, are, you know, known and loved since you were in your mother's womb. And uh, so when I had that idea of, of, oh my goodness, I mean, I've always thought maybe there would be some kind of ministry opportunity. I loved working with girls, young girls. And so I thought, man, this is it. I have reached the height of heights. I have reached the pinnacle. This is what I was made to do. And, and that year was probably one of the most difficult years of my life, like working. It was wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But there was so much um, unmet expectations on my part. And then the young intern girls that I didn't just travel with, but um, going across the country for hours and hours with, you know, lots of estrogen in the car <laughs> between Saskatchewan and Alberta, it sounds, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's not easy. And then I was living, Drew and I were the house parents for these intern girls in between the wow. tours. And so 24-7, really. And, um, and I got pregnant all that year, too. So extra hormones. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so, but I, I always did know mothering was a huge part of what I felt, both mothering my own children and potentially um, others as well. And so I just focused on the kids for those first, for the next few years. And really, um, things were tight, but Drew and I were both just passionate about me being able to just living as simply as possible so I could stay home with them. Along came Tyson mm -hmm. and, and Marley, both in Winnipeg. And uh, then we moved home a couple months after Marley was born, as you know, back to Ontario. And uh, just supply taught and but you know the kids got older and I started thinking it'd be good to to get out of the house a bit more than just supply teaching um, I need to do something else and so a girlfriend said well while you're figuring out what you want to be when you grow up <laughs> in my mid-30s she said why don't you come work with me at the funeral home I said what do you do there she said I serve tea to grieving people I was immediately intrigued I thought 
so she was a hostess of of um funeral home receptions and I thought wow you know I I went to that interview and I said I've never really thought about the funeral profession before but I feel like it might be a really good fit Mm. is there anything else that um you think that I might be able to do outside of serving tea and coffee and clearing dishes and she said well I see here you've got public speaking on your resume have you ever thought about being a funeral celebrant I said, no, what is that? <laughs> wow. Like wow. so you didn't even know at the time no. what it was. And so that's when I went, I, got, I went and did my research, got certified with the same organization that I'm now privileged to train with as well, training celebrants all over North America to do this work that I'm so passionate about. That's amazing. So if, I mean, there's a lot of people that have been in your situations. I mean, we hear all the time people that go to university and college, there's only a small percentage that are using the degree in which they're, they were trained in. And, you know, I mean, everybody, we talk about being on mission for God and we know that changes. But what would you say to people who are kind of in that state They're maybe they've gone into something that like you where they're like yeah this is it and then all of a sudden they're realizing no maybe not but how do you stay like how did you stay connected and passionate in those you know it wasn't you didn't leave right away so how did you stay connected to God connected to this particular mission and and passionate about it in that season of still a feeling like okay there's going to be a transition happening yeah I um I don't know if you've ever heard of Jeff Mannion's written a book called The Land Between. And I heard him speak mm-hmm. at the uh, Willow Creek Leadership Conference. Okay. Um, and it, and when I heard it, it was just a message that pierced my heart because um, I had always, I think my whole life to some degree felt like I was in this, the land between, in the middle of the, the, the now and the not yet like mm-hmm. there's something else. Mm-hmm. And even as much as I love funeral celebrant work and as much as I, I mean, I went, I got trained. Um, Doug Manning is the one who started this, this organization of training. He's a former Southern Baptist minister, actually in Oklahoma city. And um, I remember listening to him talk about the power of healing funerals and and I went after the bathroom, I went to the bathroom after the, the first session, the coffee break, and just bawled my eyes out going, wow, like this is what I've been made to do. This is like, this is it. Just mm. very similar to that feeling that I had when I was, t- when I was thinking about what I would be doing ministering with Beautiful Unique Girl. But you know what? Four years later, I've been doing, I'm coming up to my 300th funeral soon, actually, wow. in four years. And, and I'm still at that place with the, the land between where, you know, and, and perhaps, I mean, at one point, I remember in a particularly dark time where I was just really feeling like, when am I going to be released into whatever it is that you've called me to do, God? Um, and I printed out a bunch of scripture. I literally Googled scripture verses on waiting <laughs> because I feel like I'm always freaking waiting. <laughs> and, um, and just printed that and put it on my bedside table and tried to, to meditate on one or two of those at night. But um, I've come in my, well, almost four decades of living now. I've come to understand that perhaps, I think it was C.S. Lewis. I wish I could, I wish I had it in, in, in front of me, but there's a quote that he um, 
maybe I'll, yeah, he, he um, Googled it. Perhaps if there is something that I am, if there is something that I'm forever feeling like I, um, I'm waiting, I'm, there's, you know, there's something out there, then perhaps that is a sign that I've been made for a world that is not this world. Mm. Perhaps that longing is, um, is really something that's only ever going to be found in eternity because we're not create. If I find there, here it is. I have, um, I have found a desire within myself that no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Wow. Mm. Oh, that's powerful. I don't know if that really answers your question, Emily, but I <laughs> well, think okay. in the middle so, of, yeah. Yeah, it does. Is there like a key that you would say to someone, you know, this has helped me in this season of trans of uh, understanding that. I mean, that scripture really goes, you know, really we can only be fully satisfied in the Lord, right? And so anything outside of mm-hmm. his will and his desire for us is unsatisfying, but even in those seasons where, you know, we this is where God's placed us, there's still those seasons of waiting. So what would be a key that you took? Because that's a powerful thing. The season of waiting for people mm. is really hard and discouraging. You know, I think of yes. uh, in Jeremiah 29, we always read 29 verse 11, you know, I know the plans I have for you, hope in the future. But the Lord said that to Israelites who were actually in captivity at the time. So, and it was 70 mm-hmm. years before their freedom in that season. But yet before that scripture, God says to them, stay here and prosper in this season. Like stay here right. and prosper in this yeah. land. So Put your tent down. <laughs> yeah, but prosper. Yeah. So is there a key that you've come away with this season? Uh, yeah. because, I mean, I look from the outside at your life and just we're connected through social media and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. But, and I yeah. see someone who is progressing, someone who's doing a lot. I'm like, wow, you know, she's in this funeral um, celebrancy. She's, you know, you were on 100 Huntley Street, I think at one point for what you and your sister were doing and stuff. So you... Yeah. People see it, but then right. in your spirit, you're like, wow, I'm in this middle ground. So what would be a key that you would give someone yeah. right now who's in that season? Just hmm. so, uh, you know, this is some yeah. encouragement. Well, um, yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is um, just the idea of being able to find stillness in wherever you are, mm-hmm. um, rather than, uh, rather than, a um, new year's resolutions. I usually try to just choose a word, one word that I want to try to focus on throughout the year. And this year actually has been the, the first year that my word has stayed with me throughout the entire year. We're almost at the end of the year now. And, um, very just, I don't know. It feels like it's just followed me. My word for 2017 has been contentment. Mm-hmm. Um, when that first came to me, I was like, oh, that's not really an exciting word. God, I want a word like, you know, exuberance and victory and, you know, but, but, but I have learned to be content wherever I am and, right. and learning to be still, you know, so often when we're in the dark places, um, we are just so angsty and writhing and searching for whatever piece of light and hope. And, you know, where is that promise that for 
you know, um, Jeremiah 29, 11, God. And, mm-hmm. and, and what if God wants to you to just allow your eyes to adjust to the darkness? Mm-hmm. What if right now, instead of um, writhing against the season that you're in, you just learn to be still and say, okay, I'm here leaning in. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown who talks about um, just sort of leaning into the difficult, whatever moment that, that it is. And I think my, my work in grief has really helped solidify a lot of this too, Mm -hmm. because when you're going through a huge loss um, and all you're looking for is to try to find, you know, and we try to numb in and, any number of different ways. I mean, there's the obvious drugs and alcohol or, or whatever, but then there's the not so obvious, like I'm just going to binge Netflix or I'm going to like waste hours on Facebook or whatever, just to try to not feel the the pain. Right. But, but what if God wants to work? What if like Jeff, um, Mannion, again, the author of this book, the land between the soil that we resent he says, is the very often the very place where God wants to do the work mm-hmm. to create the crop that we so desperately desire. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes he, sometimes he, he, he does overnight work. Sometimes he is like in the business of, of overnight miracles. And I love it when he does that, but it seems to me that he generally doesn't generally, he does the deep work over time and through, unfortunately, a great amount of pain and suffering. But that's one of my favorite qualities about him is that he is so redemptive and he takes that pain and the suffering and the, the waiting. And, and if you allow him to do that work in that soil, there is, there is rich crop, that's you know, good. like I've been in dark nights of the soul where I wondered if I would ever see the light again. Mm-hmm. Like, will I ever be, I've, I've always thought that, you know, overall I'm a positive cup half full kind of person but um but there was a, a recent season over the last couple of years actually that it was just so it was so dark and and yet there is there is hope the light is coming but let god bring it let god shine the flashlight in your dark room when it's time and in the meantime embrace those meantime moments that's good. That's powerful. So how do you now moving into, you know, working with families that are grieving or working in, in the uh, uh, career that you are right now, how do you use kind of this to, to comfort people in their morning? I mean, you work with them from the moment, really, they find out that uh, a loved one has passed to uh-huh. um, after the whole funeral is over and stuff. So how do you use kind of this, what you've learned, um, these keys, these, these important moments to now help another family. And you work with a lot of non-believers, correct? Yeah. You have lost so many. So how do you kind of give this, give them this message of hope, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in a time where they probably feel really lost, really unsure of the future, really, um, not sure Mm -hmm. what's going on. Yeah, I have a, a quite a unique role in that I'm I'm in their lives in a very deep and personal way, but for a very short window. So right. typically they will go to the funeral home. They'll say, we, we want to do a funeral for our loved one. We don't want to minister. Or we don't have any religious affiliation. And the funeral home will connect them with me. Um, 
I'm, I meet with them for a couple of hours and, uh, and just, sorry, get the stories and um, find out what it is that their vision, I'm not there to push any agenda whatsoever. Right. Um, people love to tell me their, their nightmare stories. And I always say I'm not anti-minister. My dad is a minister <laughs> or was a minister. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, there's just a lot of track records of, of ministers trying to hijack funerals. If you want to mm-hmm. see your loved one again, then you better get right with God, blah, blah, blah. And it just has turned people off, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not here to push any agenda, although it's, it's fascinating how many people will go to the funeral home, be so adamant that the funeral home director finds them somebody who's not religious. They do not want a religious service. But then I meet with them and I say, well, um, have you thought about any music selections? Well, Amazing Grace might be nice. <laughs> um, right. What about yeah. readings or poetry? Well, what's that one about the valley of the shadow of death? Well, <laughs> you know, those are religious readings, right? <laughs> um, well, maybe could you just do a little prayer? I don't want the Lord's prayer, but sometimes they do want the Lord's prayer. But, you know, tomorrow I'll be, um, or, yeah, um, doing a, a service for a family who's lost their 22 year old to suicide. Wow. And, um, and you know, they, they would like me to, to, to thank God for the gift of the precious but short life of their son and, and commit his spirit into his arms and, and prayers of peace and comfort for those he's left behind. And so that's a very regular thing where I'd say maybe even more than half of the time, hmm. but um, mm-hmm. where I can incorporate these spiritual elements. But I believe that even in the many funerals that I do where they would like no mention of God or Jesus, he shows up and, um, and he, if, if we believe that as followers, Jesus, he lives inside of us, then we carry his love mm-hmm. wherever we go. And so um, I never, I, I'm so careful to not, you know, people don't want to be thought of as projects, right? right. To work, to win over as converts, but, um, but God does his work. Uh, let's let's take this, Sarah, and apply this to people that are listening to us right now. If someone's saying, Sarah, how do I demonstrate God's love to people that are in the process of grieving? So so let's mm. take it out of the funeral space, yes. the professional space, yes. right? Just I'm a friend. I have a neighbor. I have a colleague yeah. at work. Sometimes, you know, some people emotions of others overwhelm them and they don't know how to react and so yeah. they just sort of shut down or they walk away because they just don't want to engage because they don't know once I engage, like, what do I do? How do I right. do this? Right. And, right. and again, I don't want to come across as, you know, offensive or trying to push an agenda or any of that. Right. I just want to be there for them. How, how would you advise yeah. someone to do that? Mm. You know, how Good can question. you be there for a friend who's grieving or a family member mm-hmm. that's grieving? I will say that before I answer that, like the answers seem so obvious when, mm-hmm. when we say it and, mm-hmm. and they're obvious to me who I teach this stuff, but I still find that our human nature and it's, I have to catch myself all the time mm-hmm. when I have friends coming to me with in their own grief or problems or difficult mm-hmm. things to not f- try to go into fix it mode. Right. It is actually quite self-serving for us to do that because we don't like t- to get, um, 
we don't like to see our friends struggling. We don't like mm -hmm. to see our friends in pain. So what do we want to do? We want to help fix it. We want to help alleviate it. And most of the time, especially when people have lost a loved one or something like that, there is nothing that you can say or do right. to fix it. That, that pain is something that they will. So if you can just get comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable, I mean, mm -hmm. Doug Manning, the gentleman who, who trained me said, people in grief just need the three H's. They need you to hang around, hug them and hush. Just be, again, it comes back to that stillness place that I'm really trying to, you know, just be still, just be a place. They will, like something happens. I can't remember the chemical or hormone that's released in your brain when you feel that you've been heard. It actually is very related to the the, the serotonin or the endorphins, that the happy <laughs> chemicals right. that when you, you do not have to your friend does not have to say a single thing that if you just feel like you've been hurt, you've been able to talk it out, you, you, you know, you're a safe, that person is a safe place for you. Then that actually is the most helpful thing. The power of your presence. Wow. You're still presence in the middle of that without trying to, to fix, you know, people, people will often say, let me know if there's anything at all that I can do for you. Yeah. 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 Well, actually they're not they're they've just lost a loved one. They can't even think straight. They're not going to let you know, but you can show up with a meal. You know, if and and know <laughs> know what circle you're in. Are you in the inner circle? Because if yeah. you're not, if you're just like a a, a yeah. member of the church family, but you're not necessarily in the inner circle, then they may not want you to stay for 2 hours. Yeah. <laughs> but you're welcome to go and show up with Emil. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, that's that's important to understand too, I think. I think yeah, sometimes yeah. that fix-it mode is like, it's hard. It's you know, so hard. I was just thinking back um, earlier in the year, Sarah, my wife and I, uh, we um, we lost our baby in the womb, um, oh, 22, 22 weeks or so. And, uh, it was, it was a sudden thing. We didn't expect that to happen. It was literally, you know, a routine checkup at the hospital wow. and within hours, you know? And, um, so I, I just thinking back, as you were saying, I, you know, because I'm in ministry, I work with a ton of churches. I mean, hundreds of messages, calls, texts, mm -hmm. Facebook messages, right? Yes. And everyone says the same thing. Oh, please let me know if there's anything I could do for you. <laughs> like, honestly, like, what do I say? Like, there's yeah, nothing to, you yeah. know, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, unless my wife, you can revive my baby. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and, and, yeah. and, you know, my wife is obviously going through a lot. We're just going through a lot at that moment. Yeah. It's just like our whole yeah. world's just stopped. Right. But at the same time, there were those people that just literally texted and said, Hey, I'm on my way. I won't stay long. I just want to, you know, see yeah. you guys and I've got something to drop off. And they would just come up, come drop some food off, you know, you know, maybe hang around for a few minutes, um, hug us for yeah. sure and, yeah. and be on their way. And, and it meant so much. In fact, yeah. it, this is, this is crazy, but our, we have a tenant downstairs and our tenant thought we had the baby because he said, over the last couple of days, I heard so much laughter in the house wow. that I actually thought you guys had the baby because we hadn't told him yet. We told him wow. a few days later. So wow. that's how many, like people just showed up and they would just, you know, crack random jokes. People would just, like, I mean, it yeah. was just, they were not trying or what. It was just organic. It was natural. But yeah. the, the, the heaviness, I mean, every time any, everyone left, the heaviness was there, right? But for right. those moments when people were there, yes. the heaviness lifted, right? And, and you know, yeah. 
And that's, you know what, why it's like they got in your bucket. People talk about um, Doug, Doug Manning, actually. I love the image of the bucket that people in grief, their buckets are, are so full, right? They're full of, you know, um, a wide variety of emotions, like mm-hmm. the sadness, mm-hmm. the heartbreak, the guilt. Could I have done something to stop this? You know, the, um, the anger, it's just, it's overflowing. And so what do we try to do? <clears throat> Oh, well, I'm just going to put something else in their bucket. Here's right. a, a, a scripture verse. Well, God won't give you more than you can handle. Or like <laughs> these things, these these little um, sayings, they drive me nuts. They're, they're platitudes <laughs> that do not help. Even, right. even sometimes I would say you have to be careful with your use of scripture mm. because it can, it can be something else that you're trying to put in their bucket that they just don't have the capacity to absorb in that moment. Um, but what people do need, Doug says, is for you to get in their bucket with them. You just mm-hmm. go and you sit in the midst of all of those ragey, wide variety of different emotions mm-hmm. and just be there with them in the midst of that. They don't need extra things. They're already overflowing already, but they need your presence. That's good. That's powerful. I mean, even talking about, you know, when we're talking about living on mission for God, we're always, you know, people have these stories of understanding call, but part of being on mission is finding these things in in everyday life of going, you know, this person is hurting or this person needs, you know, just my presence. Or I mean, we Mm -hmm. see sometimes there's moments where I go before God in an intimate moment and I, I can't do anything but sit in his presence. So why wouldn't that be the same sometimes with each other? I'm just going, you know, our yeah. presence can say so much to someone or just being there mm-hmm. for someone. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so tough though. In a way. Yeah. We, we have to learn how to hold our tongue. <laughs> and I, I'm a talker, so it's very difficult. <laughs> it's difficult for me, but yeah. And, and, and understanding actually not just how unhelpful some of these things can be, but actually quite harmful. Mm-hmm. You know, because it doesn't give them permission to feel whatever feelings that they're going through. Yeah. So yes, maybe they are in a better place, but that person wants them here. Right. Right. Yes, maybe they did live a good long life, you know, or or at least you know, oh, I don't know. There's so many things that even with the loss of the baby, you know, people mm-hmm. will trivialize that. Well, mm-hmm. you didn't actually get the chance to, mm-hmm. well, yeah. And it's all of those grieving of the things that I'm not going to get grieving Could the relationship have, that have, I yeah. wished I had. Yeah. And um, so, and yeah, it's, it's true. Actually, and it's incredible, you know, as I'm, I'm, I'm I, I didn't even think we would talk about this in this, in this podcast, but it's incredible how uh, sometimes you can even become resentful towards people that are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to help yes. you. Like you get that. They're well-intentioned. But, yep. but it's almost like, just stop. Just, just yes. I don't want to hear this right now. I don't want to talk right. to you right now because I know everything you're telling me, like in the back of my head, I know it. But in this yeah. moment, it, that's not it, what it I does, need. Yeah. 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 Wow. yeah. Hmm. Sorry that you've had to go through that. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was yeah. a tough season, but I'm so glad we're talking about this. And like I said, yeah. I didn't even think of it would go in this, in this tangent or in this you know angle, but I, yeah. I think it really is. And you know, it's amazing. Um, my wife works, you know, in a secular workplace environment and she had friends come over from work and they weren't necessarily all, you know, Christians, or maybe they were like nominal Christians, but um, it was powerful. Just, just them being there. 
just sitting. Like some of them came and yeah. literally you were sitting, you're just sitting, like you were just sitting in silence. Like there was yeah. nothing really that you were saying, but it was just yeah. a powerful moment or yes. moments, you know, where, where you're communicating, but you're not communicating. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense, Sarah, but yeah. it's no, like, it makes total sense. Yeah. It's like your presence yeah. is communicating um, yeah. and not your words. Right. And yes. I think a lot of times Christians, as Christians, we get into this trap of, you know, because of this whole idea of, you know, God's word is truth. God's word is life. You have to declare the word. You have to confess yeah. scripture, right? Like we take it yeah. to this extreme where we're just like yeah. constant. And sometimes yeah. I guess the world is saying to us, can you just like shut up? And shut just, up. <laughs> just, you know what I'm saying? Yes. And, just, and just be there for me. Yeah. Just hug yeah. me. Just love on me. Just, yeah. you know, I can't tell you the number, how much it meant to us that, you know, because we couldn't even get in the kitchen for, I don't know, a couple of weeks, you know, we weren't cooking. We weren't, and the Beautiful. people that, that cooked for us, you know, that just yeah. brought food over. There's literally, yeah. some people just literally brought food, hugged us, didn't even take the shoes off, just left. That was it. And yet that wow. meant so much. Yes. Yes. In those moments. And so sometimes, you know, it's not our words, it's our actions, it's our presence. It's, you know, it's just being there for people that communicate so much that that may be an open, like for the people that are saying, well, yes, Pastor Fanu, but we need to share the gospel. Yeah, but maybe that's the open door that down the road, you yes. have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yes, be- don't, because- don't lock the door immediately for those gospel opportunities because they yeah. think you're a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or, or because right. they think yeah. that, or, or not, or, or worse than a weirdo, they think like that, that was just so unhelpful for me right now. I didn't need that. And if that's what being a Christ follower is like, no, thank you. I don't want to have to throw scripture verses at people who are in, like desperate need of just stillness and presence. Mm-hmm. I love what my son told me. He was about five years old when one of my best friends lost her husband to cancer, leaving her with three little children. And and I said, um, I was just, my heart was breaking. And in a moment of desperation, I turned to my five-year-old and said, Ty, like, I just, I want to help. I want to help my friend. And I don't know what to say to her. Like, what do you think I should say? And he just, he just paused really. He's a, he's a, like his daddy, a man, a little man of few words, <laughs> mm-hmm. but then he gave me the most thoughtful response. He said, maybe you could just say, I'm sad too. Mm-hmm. I'm sad too. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly what she needs. You know mm-hmm. what? I'm just, I'm grieve with those who grieve. Like right. yes, that's this, right. I could just see the look and the, the mother who lost her, her son who took his own life. And she just looked over, pointing at the back of the dining room. She wasn't there, this friend. She wasn't there, like, part of our, our, our meeting. But she was just at the back of the dining room, just sitting there and crying with her best friend, who she drove from Ottawa to be there with her best friend, who just lost her baby boy. Mm. You know? And she just was raving about this friend, mm-hmm. about who she just – she drove from Ottawa, Sarah, to be here with me mm-hmm. while I sit in shock that my son is gone. So – yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, listen, I, we've got to wrap it up, but this has been yeah. such a powerful podcast. Mm-hmm. And I hope that uh, those who are listening um, will will embrace, you know, Sarah, what you're talking about and this whole idea of, uh, of being there for people, grieving with people and not wanting to fix things. And again, this is, you're right. This is a human nature. My wife always complains. I don't know if this is a guy thing. <laughs> Guys are always trying to fix everything. Right. So I'm like yeah. constantly yeah. coming up with solutions and she's like, yeah. 
you know, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to be <laughs> there, listen. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably the women listening understand what I'm talking about. But anyway, Amen. so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes you don't need to fix it. You just yeah. need to be there, and that that in itself yeah. is uh, is an open door. Sarah, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to talk about what you offer, how people can get in touch with you, your social yeah. media handles, website, etc. Yes, I will put a bunch of those social media um, stuff on your website. I will say that, um, so Sarah Brown Speaks is my Twitter handle. My Facebook page is Sarah Brown Celebrant. Sarah, no H, brown like the color, Celebrant. Um, And uh, yeah, one of my passions is teaching, um, if that hasn't already come across, about these different subjects. And so I have different workshops that I can offer to churches or schools or uh, nonprofit organizations um, one of the workshops is walking with the brokenhearted. And so it's very much deals with mm-hmm. a lot of what we're talking about today, just keys to, um, how do I be a good friend to those who are hurting, um, keys to moving forward in your grief. If you personally have gone through a loss, what are, there's no, you know, magic 12 steps that you can check off to finally be, uh, completed those steps and be all better but there are some keys that I can offer based on my own experiences and research that I've done of how can I begin to move forward towards healing and hope um or any number of different <laughs> different topics on those kind of subjects as well. Um, I mentioned my other halftime job is is uh, working for a nonprofit, the International Fellowship for Christians and Jews, just seeking to build bridges between the two faiths by focusing on what we have in common, which is our heart for the poor. And um, and so there is. I'll throw up a a web um, site for that as as well. There's diff- there's a a challenge that we have created to really engage youth and young adults in the important work of of helping uh, the poor in Israel and other, the Ukraine, different places in the world as well. All kinds of needs out there and great opportunities to, um, to be able to, to, to make a difference. Can I leave you with one of my favorite quotes? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. St. Therese of Lisieux. This is a quote that I often, um, I often use for my funerals for, you know, the people that may not think of themselves as having, having this great big legacy. But in my, that's another workshop I do, by the way, the legacy of the little things <laughs> mm. um, that our great legacies can be made up of, of, of everyday kind deeds. So St. Teresa Lucia, she said, what um, love proves itself by deeds. So how am I to show my love? Great deeds are forbidden me. The only way I can prove my love is by scattering flowers. And these flowers are every little sacrifice, every glance and word, and doing of the least actions for love. That's good. And so whatever it is that you find yourself doing, I mean, we talked a little bit about the next generation. Um, how do we find my purpose, my mission, understand the power of doing these least actions for love. And they'll continue to be building blocks, I think, for the next thing that God brings along in your path. That's good. Awesome. Awesome. Thank Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being a part of it. I think it's powerful. Just those two areas of really, you know, God seeking God in that those waiting moments of pressing into him. And then also, I mean, loss 
is a variety. It can be a loss of a loved one. It can be loss of a job. It can be yes. loss of what we feel was our call. So in all of these yeah, areas, relationships, yeah. can be, relationships can be painful. And so any sort of loss of just having those people in their presence around or offering that to people. Um, Absolutely. So incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. We'll be sure to put up that information under the podcast. And we thank awesome. you so much for being a part of it. Thank uh, you. The Great podcast to chat today. with you both. Thank, thank you, you so much. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wow. Well, that was an incredible podcast. It's really, you know, we think of a loss of loved one, which can be such a painful time, but we, we've all experienced loss in some way, you know, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, loss of, you know, just a season in life or whatever it is, changes, right, that we go through. But God's presence is so important to us. And so obviously when Holy Spirit lives in us, our presence to other people can be such an incredible source of comfort and just, you know, being there for them in those moments and, you know, not feeling like we have to fix um, what people are going through because sometimes it's a process and time for them really. Absolutely. And, you know, I just, um, I loved listening to her whole journey as well of how she discovered. And I think that's so important uh, that as Christians, uh, you know, wanting to fulfill God's mission in our lives, we're always, you know, we're not just searching, but we're also taking the next opportunity that God puts in before, uh, puts before us, you know, and I think that was uh, something that Sarah did throughout her life uh, in every step, including, I think she was teaching mm -hmm. at some point. And so, uh, you know, just amazing how God has directed her life. And uh, I just love the idea of living on mission in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is part of the whole reason we have this podcast is mm -hmm. let's discover where Christians are serving. What are Christians doing? Mm -hmm. How are they impacting our culture and the people around them? And I think, uh, Sarah's story was definitely inspirational. And my encouragement to a lot of you out there is don't uh, limit God's gifts to the mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. You know, take God's gifts and share it with society, regardless of pe if people come to faith in Christ or not. Uh, in fact, there's a much better chance that they will come to faith in Christ because they've encountered a Christian along the journey of their life that was kind to them and compassionate with them and loved on them mm -hmm. and during a difficult moment in their life. So a uh, fascinating story. And uh, my encouragement to a lot of you that are listening is please share this with others uh, that, uh, that maybe are searching and, and trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to make a difference in the world? Or, you know, share it with someone that you know has just gone through a loss. Like I think uh, she brought up some incredible keys of just, you know, how we can deal with that grief. And, and so, Pastor Fernu, why don't you tell our listeners how they can get connected to us um, or in, into more about Passion to Reach Ministries? Well, friends, listen, Passion to Reach Ministries exists to help you fulfill God's mission for your life. And so check us out online at passiontoreach.com. Remember, uh, in the intro, we talked about Go Conference material being ready. So check out our website and uh, click on resources and uh, you'll get the link there to get to our store and uh, purchase those resources. It will really be uh, encouraging and empowering in your walk with God. You can also email us at missionconnect at passiontoreach.com. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Mission Connect. Join us next week. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.